0: Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. How many of you, by show of hands, would say that our world, our country, our culture, our entire world, is in a great place? Really, nobody? Nobody? Nobody thinks the world's doing good? How many of y'all think that the economy is just great right now? How many of y'all think, I I can go to the grocery store and I can buy anything I want to and I can fill my car up with gas and it doesn't affect me at all? If that's you, I need to talk to you after church, because personally I could use a little bit of help on that. Look, we can all agree, uh, things are not going well in our world. Uh, Again, the is a mess. And look, it's not just the American economy. Uh, economies all across the world are, are struggling right now. Uh, England right now is dealing with record inflation, higher inflation than we're dealing with. The the gap between the wealthiest people in the world and the poorest people in the world is larger than it's ever been in in history. Now, Again, uh, we need to put it in, in context because the super wealthy today are much wealthier than the wealthy people of, of, say, the first century church. And the poor people of today are not as poor as they were in the first century church. Most of us uh, here today are considered uh, poor uh, compared to the super 1%, but we can, we do have more than most people do in the world. We do have more than most people did in history. So, But the the gap between the super wealthy and the, the regular people is is larger than it's ever been. Inflation, again, is out of control. Uh, we still, we have racial tension uh, in the world, in our culture, in our country. We have political tensions are very, very high. Uh, corruption is, is everywhere. Uh, you know how you can you can know a, an honest politician. He's dead. That's the only honest politi- politician. I don't care who you are, independent, Democrat, Republican, whatever. Uh, corruption is everywhere. Immorality is 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 rampant. You know we uh, we very we we me and April we are very careful to monitor uh, what we allow our kids to watch because there's just there's so much stuff out there that is is it seems benign it seems you know generic but it's very bad be- i remember several months ago alexis came to me because we tell him if you want to watch a new show you gotta ask i don't care if it's on disney kids i don't care if it's on netflix kids you want to watch a new show you got to ask me well she came to me and she said hey dad can i watch this new show she-ra now how many of y'all remember he-man and she-ra when you were kids I have the now look looking back, he Man and Skeletor needed some more clothes. Let's be honest about that. Uh, He-Man was a little sketchy in the things he wore. But He-Man and She-Ra, you know, it's I have the power and it was aggressive. So she comes, hey Dad, can I watch this new show, She-Ra? And I'm like, oh, she's watching shows I watch. Yes, you can watch She-Ra. And then I started looking into it. And She Ra is a new She Ra. And uh, it was it was a, a show about, of course, She Ra, the princess of power. But it's all about this, this world filled with, you know, completely filled with women, uh, which is fine. You know, I love women. I'm not against women, I'm pro woman. Uh, but it was, they were all uh, either transgender or lesbian or bisexual and all this stuff. And so I had i like, no, you cannot watch She Ra uh, at all. And there's just all kinds of stuff that seems so. Generic, but you look into it and you're like, man, they are really pushing severe immorality on our children. And just the things you, you know, adults can watch on TV. Immorality is is everywhere, Uh, violence is everywhere. Now, looking at the culture, it's a great time for the church of God to step up and really make a difference in the world, make an impact. On the culture and the place that we live, our community. It's a great time for us to offer hope and healing to the world. But I'll be honest with you, I don't see that happening. And I'm not just I'm not talking about just our church. I'm talking about, you know, the church in general. I just don't see believers at large stepping up and, and offering hope and and something different for this, this world. You know, the the religious landscape is filled with with false teachers. You know, they're they're spewing you know, a heresy like the prosperity gospel. You know, me and April were talking several weeks ago and she's you know she's asking, she's like, you know, we we see all these these false teachers who, you know, just have these incredibly large churches like Joel Osteen, who's just, you know, name it, claim it, you know, God loves you. And look, God does love you and God died for you, and God rose again for you, but God wants you to change. But, you know, God loves you. You just, you you ask God for anything. If you, you don't have that Ferrari, you just got to ask God for that Ferrari, and he'll give it to you. No, he won't. Uh, but, you know, the and uh, Fudrick, uh, the Elevation Church, another prosperity gospel. And we she's like, how come these people have such, such you know, they seem to have such large followings, and, you know, other gospel-preaching churches struggle. I mean, well, number one, the enemy's not fighting them. Why would the enemy fight someone who's spewing hypocrisy and, and and heresy and not preaching the gospel and number two if you want people to come to your church all you got to do is tell them they're perfect the way they are they don't got to change everything's gonna be great but that's not what the bible says look and i've told you you're not found the way i'm not found the way i am i need to change i need to grow i need to get closer to god and so we have false teachers everywhere we have and look there's a lot of of uh, hurt the church has done several mo- uh, weeks ago, the Southern Baptist Convention just came out with their sexual abuse uh, uh, study and just showed not only sexual abuse but cover-ups rampant in the Southern Baptist Convention. Look, it ain't tied to just them. I uh, independent Baptists are the same way, and so you know people have been hurt by the church. People don't trust the church anymore. And so we're living in a very difficult time, you know, uh, humanity speaking, the situation that we are in, is kind of depressing. It's nothing to rejoice over. But we as believers, we're not to view the world that way. We're not to look at the world and say, it's just so bad. What's the point? Because look, if you look at the world that way, you, you can get very disappointed and very discouraged and say, you know what, the world's so hard the world's so anti-God, the world's so anti-church, the world's so wicked and vile that there's nothing we can do, so let's just hold on till Jesus comes. That's not why God left us here. And that's not how we are supposed to view the world. We are to view the world the way God sees it. We are to see the world through God's eyes. And we were left here to build God's kingdom. We were left in a dark world to shine the glorious light of the gospel so that people will see Christ through us and will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Because look, that's the only thing that's going to save and change the world. That's it. We want to change how our culture is. Our culture needs Christ, and people need Jesus. They need to be saved and, and be discipled and learn and grow through a saving knowledge of Him and through the Holy Spirit working in Him. And God left the church here to do that. That's our job. That's why we are left here. That's why when you get saved, you don't automatically go to heaven. That'd be great, but that's not why we're here. You know, it's not like, oh, you're saved, you know, go on to heaven. No, God left us here to do a work for him. But look, no matter how bad the world is today, and we can all agree the world's pretty bad. The first century believers had it worse. The first believers, they are they are living in a world that's been conquered by the Roman Empire. Now, the Roman conquered most of the known world. Now eventually uh, and usually at the time the church is beginning to really take off, Rome had conquered so much territory that it, it kind of spread itself thin. And so they weren't able to exert as much authority and power on some of the farther reaches of their kingdom that they, that they, were, that they, they had. And so politicians across the empire were fighting for power. They were trying to secure a kind of a base for themselves because everyone could kind of see the Roman government's getting too thin and it's doing too much and eventually it's going to collapse. And so they're trying to set up their own little kingdoms for when it did fall. They were set up. Look, the Roman culture was extremely immoral. Look, we think our world is sexually perverse, It was way worse than, look, I understand we got our kids are in here today. I'm going to be a little more careful. But it was, Google it. It was severely perverse uh, during that time. The gap between the rich and the poor was tremendous. Again, it's not as big as it was today. But the poor in this time were much poorer than we are today. Over half the Roman citizens or people living under the Roman Empire were in slavery. And Christians were being persecuted in terrible ways. Look, we talk about our persecution, and and I know in some countries uh, like North Korea or Iran, Iraq, you know, some of these Middle Eastern countries, Christians do suffer extreme persecution. We don't here in America. We think persecution is when someone cuts us off and gives us the bird because we have a Jesus fish on our car. That's not persecution, that's you don't know how to drive, and they're telling you so. So, you know, we thought, oh, we're being persecuted. No, the Christians in the first century were being persecuted uh, like never before. Every problem the world faced was blamed on believers. They were used as, they were tortured and murdered for entertainment for the Roman citizens. They were forced to fight lions and trained gladiators. They were burned alive, all for the entertainment of the culture. So yes, our world is a mess, but it's nothing compared to what the first century church faced. But the first century church was incredibly productive. They were incredibly fruitful for the kingdom of God even in difficult times. You know, the the book of Acts is about the church, and it's about a church that was fruitful and faithful to God even in difficult situations. It's about believers that literally changed the world with the gospel while facing incredible persecution. It was given to us today as a way to inspire us, to teach us, and really to give us confidence that God can and will use us today in the same way he used the church in the first century. It shows us how God builds his church, even when the world around us is collapsing in chaos. So last week we looked at Acts chapter 10 and we saw how we as individual believers can make an impact, can change our culture, our community, our kind of neighborhood, where we live, how we can make an impact and do it, make a difference for God. Today we're going to look at how we as a church can make a difference, can make an impact, can be fruitful in difficult times. So look in Acts chapter 11, start reading in verse number 19. <clears throat> It says now they which were they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about stephen traveled as far as phoenice and cyprus and antioch preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. So now we're going back to Acts chapter 7. And again, this, this, these kind of last three chapters of the book of Acts are kind of jumpy in their timeline. And so you've got to really understand what's going on. So we're going back to Acts chapter 7. Uh, and of course, Acts chapter 7 was when Stephen was martyred, where Stephen stands up and he preaches the gospel to the Pharisees and Sadducees. They get angry at him, they drag him out of the city. And as they're about to stone him, he preaches a long sermon, preaches the gospel. And they they run at him. They bite him. They're stopping their ears and saying, no, 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 no! don't tell us this. And then they stone him to death. And then there's one guy who was, the Bible says, consenting, but really it means he encouraged, he led the charge to have Stephen stoned. And he held 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 their coats there. And his name was Saul. And this is after Stephen's martyrdom. Now remember, way back in Acts chapter 1, God told the believers, stay in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit then you will be witnesses for me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the innermost parts of the world. That word both there is is very important because it means at the same time. He wasn't saying you're going to witness for me in Jerusalem once Jerusalem's all all saturated, then you'll go to Judea. Once Judea's got the gospel, then you'll go to Samaria. Once Samaria's got the gospel, then you'll go... No, he goes, you're going to preach the gospel everywhere at the same time. They stayed, they received the Holy Spirit, they stayed in Jerusalem. So God sent persecution to make the church obey what he had commanded. So persecution comes, the church scatters. So through this stoning, believers had scattered throughout the area, and as they're going, they're preaching the gospel. And I want to show you a map of where they went. So see the map here. That first star that's Jerusalem. That's where they started so that's where they started preaching the gospel. Then they go to Ph- 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 Phineas, that's up there, see the, sea of, the island of Crete, the far island of Crete. They go to Cyprus, that's another island, so they go there. Then they go as far north as Antioch. So when Stephen was martyred, they spread all over the known world. Uh, Ph- Phineas is 5,656 miles from Jerusalem. And as you can see, there ain't no road to get there. They got to take a boat. So, it took a long journey to get there. Uh, Cyprus was 256 miles uh, across the Mediterranean Sea. Antioch is 7,300 miles away. So, after Stephen's murder, the gospel spreads out like crazy, spreads out through an entire region. And despite the distance covered, they were only preaching the gospels, the gospel to the Jews. They were not preaching to the Gentiles yet. Look at verse number 20. Acts chapter eleven. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which were taken, which when which when they were come to Antioch spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now remember, Grecians are foreign born Jews. Their Jewish religion. But they're born in a different culture. So they, they are Jewish believer, Jewish, you know, practicing Jews, but they have a different culture than the Jews in Jerusalem. Uh, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. So they're seeing a lot of people saved, even Grecians. And so what we see here is these believers that are scattered. Now remember, they go to Cyprus and they go to Crete, and it tells us here in uh, verse 20, and them that were of Cyprus and Cyrene. So first they go to Cyprus, they get people saved there. These people who probably who were jews but some of them may have been gentiles they go to antioch they start preaching the gospel and so through this this persecution through this difficult time the, god is moving greatly in these believers they are seeing thousands of people saved wherever they go look at verse 22 then the tidings of these things came to the ears of the church which was in jerusalem and they sent forth barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave to the Lord, for he was a good man. Now remember Barnabas, we met Barnabas when they they took up the offering in Jerusalem, and Ananias and Sapphira gave an offering, and they lied, and the Holy Spirit killed him. Barnabas is the one that he was the first one to sell his land and give it to them. So Barnabas is a good man. He is a leader in the church of Jerusalem. He is a faithful believer. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost, and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarshish to seek Saul. Now, we're jumping back. Acts chapter eight, uh, 9. Saul saved. He's in Tarshish. Bar- and again, we saw kind of, he comes and it says a few days. He goes to Jerusalem. Again, that's three years later. So this is before he goes to Jerusalem for the first time. He's still in Tarshish. Barnabas has heard about Saul, and he goes to get him to bring him back to Antioch to help him. Uh, And when he had found him, he brought him into Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first, in Antioch. So again, the, the timeline is a little jumpy here, uh, but it's not long after this scattering, this, these churches start to pop up and these believers start to get saved, that Barnabas, he goes uh, to see what's happening in Antioch, and when he sees what's happening, he understands these people, they need to be discipled. You know, it's, it's not any apostles here, it's just some people who have gone, they've preached the gospel, so he's got a group of believers gathered, but they haven't been taught, they haven't been discipled, they haven't been really taught anything about God, so he goes, they need to be discipled. But then he says, I need help, and he has an idea. He says, you know, Saul just got saved. Saul needs to be discipled. Let's go get him, and we'll disciple these people together. So he goes and he gets Saul, who later becomes Paul, and they minister together in Antioch for an entire year. And through their ministry... Not only are people saved, but the culture in the city is changed. The Bible says that they were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, at first, this was a derogatory term. It literally meant little Jesus or little Christ. And they were called that because they lived their life according to the teachings of Christ, but also because their life looked like the life of Christ. Look at verse number 27. And these days uh, came a prophet from from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and uh, and signified by the Spirit there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, uh, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So this, this prophet, this believer named Agabus, he comes to Antioch and he preaches, and the Spirit gives him a message, and he tells a message from God about a famine that's going to take over the entire Roman world, that is going to affect the entire Roman Empire. Now, because of this prophecy, they are told of a coming famine. They're not in famine yet, but they're told of a coming famine. So if you were living in, you know, you're in Roanoke, and, you know, I tell you, God told me there's going to be a great famine in Roanoke. Uh, You know, God spoke to me audibly, uh, and you didn't leave, as you should, uh, but you believed me, and I said, there's going to be a great famine. Well, you're probably going to start stocking up. Right, oh man, the famine's coming in a year or two years. I'm gonna start stocking up, I'm gonna get me some canned food, some ramen noodles, I'm gonna get I'm gonna store all the food I can, and I'm gonna make sure that when this famine comes, my family has food. That's what Joseph did. Remember in Egypt when he's in charge of Egypt and the Pharaoh has a dream and he says, hey, there's going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And the seven years of famine are going to be so bad that they're going to kind of make you forget about the seven years of plenty. So here's what you've got to do. During the seven years of plenty, you've got to store up food so that when the famine comes, you're prepared. That's not what the believers of Antioch did. They said, there's a famine coming. Let's get an offering together for people who are suffering elsewhere. Not for themselves. They said, let's take care of our brothers and sisters who are elsewhere. So they gather money to send to the believers in Judea, again, several years later, and it's going to be taken by Paul and Barnabas. Now, this passage, it really gives us five characteristics of of, of a fruitful church. A church that even in a difficult culture, a difficult society, difficult times can still make an impact on the world for God. And here's the the five characters. Number one, we see that they made an impact. They were fruitful because they were a divinely empowered church. When you study the church in Antioch, really the church, every church in the book of Acts, it is evident that God is His hand is in everything that happens. God's hand was in the the stoning of Stephen. That doesn't make sense. Why would God allow? Again, Stephen was a great man. He was was a a, a good follower of Christ. He was one of the first deacons. And so why did God allow him to be stoned? Because deacons need to be stoned sometimes. No. Uh, But he, he allowed that to happen to get the church to spread out. God's hand was in the 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 production or the, the uh, movement of the church. The church spreads because of God. No, the church didn't spread out because they had a great vision, because they had a great revival service, and Peter stood up, and somebody got up and preached missions real hard, and had a map, and you know had to you know pick a child thing where you got to pray for a child, and you're going to support adopt a child for the gospel, and you're going to do all this stuff. No, 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 they didn't have a great program, didn't have a big vision. God sent them out. They went out because God's hand was on them. Verse 19, where they go abroad, it was in response to persecution. They went out because God sent them out through persecution, but he used them for his will. Look at verse number 21 again. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. God's hand was on everything they did and everywhere they went. Verse 24 tells us that the leaders were full of the Holy Spirit. Verse 25 tells us that Saul was a great help to the church. Now look, Saul started out as an enemy of the church, the greatest persecutor of the church, but because he is empowered by the Holy Spirit and God's hand is on him, now he becomes the greatest asset of to the church. They were successful because of what God was doing in them and through them, not because of what they were doing themselves. Not because of some great program or some great idea, but because they obeyed God. They were empowered by the Spirit. That didn't happen by accident. Now look, they were filled with the Spirit. We know that. They were, they were indwelled by the Spirit of salvation. Here's the thing. So were we. That they were used by the Spirit. Why? Because, and we'll get into some of, these, some of these reasons why they were empowered. Some of the reasons that they were empowered and some of the results of them being empowered are the same thing. But they, they cherished the Word of God. They were faithful to read and study. And look, they didn't have the New Testament. They, when they're studying their Bible, didn't get to turn to John 3.16, and read John three sixteen. You know why? Because they didn't have John three sixteen. What they have? They had the Old Testament. But they they studied it and they memorized it and they they learned from it and they learned what God wanted them to do. And they were they were faithful to pray to God. And it was again we saw it in Peter. Regular part of Peter's walk with God. Regular part of Peter's life was his. Prayer life. You know why every time the Bible talks in the book of Acts, and in the book of Acts, hundreds of times the Bible says the Lord spoke to them. You know how the Lord spoke to them? They were praying. So, well, God doesn't speak to me like that. Are we praying like that? Is prayer a regular, faithful part of our life? And look, not just the church, although, look, we, we got our prayer means We got our impossible prayer requests. And look, some of you who have put requests up here, if God has answered, you got to move it because sometimes I think you'll stick it up here. It's like a, a wishing well. Oh, God, I hope you give it. No, that's not what it is. You put it up here and we pray for it, but you pray for it when it's moved, When it's answered. We move it, but we pray for things. And we have prayer meetings here on Sunday night. And yeah, we as a church, we need to be faithful in our prayers, but so do you. The church will not be empowered by the Spirit of God if the people in the church are not walking with God. Period. Doesn't matter how much I preach, doesn't matter what I preach, doesn't matter how mad I get and yell and spit and scream and holler and nothing. If you as a church member, if me as a church member, if we are not walking with God daily, this church, new grace, will make no impact on the world. Period. We will not be empowered if individually we're not walking with God. And look, we're trying to help you with that as a church. We're having the prayer meetings. We're having the prayer things. We give you the vote. We do everything we can individually to help you, but you got to do it. You got to step up. This church was empowered because they stepped up. They took their. Because look, these believers didn't leave Jerusalem and go to Antioch and find the First Baptist Church of Antioch, who had a celebrity preacher up there and a great worship band and all that stuff. They all will just join. No, they went to Antioch. There was no church. They were the church, and they were empowered by God because they walked with God. And look, that gives us hope because that tells look, we're not in control. God is in control, and God can take persecution, and God can take difficulty, and God can take pressure from the world, and he can turn it into revival. See, the thing Satan thought would break the church is a thing that God used to build the church. Even in things that bring hardship, God uses it to strengthen and build his church. Look again at verse number 28. And there stood up one from them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. So God sends a famine throughout the entire Roman Empire. This is going to affect believers. Believers. Believers are going to suffer. People in God's church are going to go without. So it doesn't make sense, but how is it good? How can famine be turned to good? Because God knows believers are going to suffer, they're going to starve, they're going to struggle, and God uses this to unite the church. You know, believers in Antioch, they were Grecians, they were Samaritans. At this time, there are Gentiles in this church. They gave gave to help Jewish believers. It was teaching them to give sacrificially for others, to show the love of God in a real way. See, in, in persecution and famine in a difficult world, they were fruitful because God's hand was on them. But God's hand was on them because they were faithful to walk with God. Second characteristic, not only a divinely empowered church, a gospel preaching church. We see that in verses 19 and 20. Everywhere they went, everywhere they go, they're preaching the gospel. They're being they're running for their life from Jerusalem. But what do they do as they run for their life? They preach the gospel. They're not hiding. They're not cowering. They're saying, well, if they're going to persecute us here, I'll go to Crete and preach the gospel. I'll go to Antioch and preach the gospel. I'll go to Cyprus and preach the gospel. Wherever I go, I'm going to preach the gospel. And look, when it, look at verse number 19 again. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution of the roads about Stephen traveled as far as Antioch, preaching the God. Now the word preaching there is in, in the Greek. It is a verb. It is in the present active Stent. And it is plural. That means that it was their, their travels were characterized by the preaching of the gospel. How many of y'all have heard a, a preacher talk about when they take, a, they take a plane trip and they get on the plane and somebody sits next to them and they start preaching the gospel to that person? Now, anybody ever heard a preacher talk about that? No, none of y'all have heard a preacher talk about when they get on the plane. Y'all need to listen to more preachers. Here's the thing. When I get on a plane and I sit down, I'm usually next to my kids or my wife, but if I get lucky enough to get a stranger next to me, you know what I do? Watch TV or go to sleep. You know what? Because I don't want a Jehovah's Witness sitting next to me talking to me about Jehovah the whole trip, and I don't want to, and that's, that's my fault. I'm wrong in that. I should, now, I shouldn't wait for someone to sit down, and as soon as the, the, uh, you know, uh, the seatbelt light goes off, get up and say, now that I got you captive, I'm not doing that. And I don't think they were. I don't think they got on a boat to go to Cyprus, and as soon as they shipped off, they said, Hey, you're trapped now. Let me preach to you. But everybody they talked to, they talked about Christ. Hey, where are you going? I'm going to to Phineas. Why? Well, I was in Jerusalem, and, you know, uh, Jesus was there. And who's Jesus? Oh, let me tell you about Jesus. And they started these conversations and preached the gospel everywhere they went. And look, it wasn't the apostles, because remember, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. It was everybody else. Everybody else, when they went out, all of them were preaching the gospel. It was the pattern of their life. They were constantly preaching the word. They took the message of the gospel wherever they went. Whatever they were doing, they were talking about Jesus. So here's what we've got to ask ourselves. Is that what our life is characterized by? If someone... That didn't go to this church that we I didn't know. If I met someone at your work, say, oh, hey, you know so and so. Oh, yeah, I know them. I work with them. Great. What do they talk about all the time? Is it Jesus? Or you know, it's the stupid boss, it's the low pay, it's the, the political system, it's the gas prices, it's it's UVA. That's okay. You can do that. It's tech, you need Jesus. Uh, you know, what do they talk about most? What is your life care? If people said, hey. What do, what, do, what, do you, what do they talk about all the time? Is it They talk about God. They talk about Jesus. Yeah, they're talking about their family, but they're talking about their family in context to Jesus. They're, they're talk, we know that they're a believer because of how they talk. They were fruitful because God was with them and they preached the gospel. We all need to speak about Jesus where God has placed us. We need to be fruitful in the famine. Third characteristic is a sacrificially loving church. Verse 25, then departed Barnabas to Tarshish for to seek Saul. So the church of Jerusalem, they hear about these these believers in Antioch, far away, but they hear about God moving in Antioch. They hear about Jews being saved, Grecians being saved, Samaritans being saved, Gentiles being saved. And so they send Barnabas to help them. Barnabas, he wasn't an apostle, but he was a leader in Jerusalem. He was a faithful member of the church. He sacrificially gave. And the church looked at what was going on in Antioch and said, we need to send someone to help them. We will sacrificially give of our leadership, and we'll send Barnabas to go help them and to lead them. Now, Jerusalem loved the believers at Antioch, but the believers at Antioch loved the believers at Judea. Again, look at verse number 29. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt at Judea. Now, uh, Antioch was a very large port city. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was a very large, very wealthy city. They had a lot of financial resources in that city. But the church at Antioch wasn't a rich church. It wasn't made up of the one percent of the elite Antiochans. It was, it was the people who were poor and didn't have much, and were, it was made up of people who were struggling day by day to feed their family, to put food on the table, to put gas in their chariots, to do all the stuff that, they ha- that we have to do. But they willingly gave of what God gave of God had given them to help other people. They gave to be a blessing. Now, their poverty, their situation it didn't keep them from giving what they could. Now, that's important there. I gave what they could. You can't give what you have. You can't, I mean, we know all this, the phrase you can't get blood out of a, a turnip. And look, I've been in churches where I've heard pastors who, they're doing a building program or they're having some kind of big fundraising thing and they're encouraging people to put a second mortgage on their house to help raise money. Don't ever do that. I'm never going to ask you to mortgage your house or get a loan on your car or even give by a credit card. Now, if you can use a credit card properly, which is you put money on it at the beginning of the month, you pay it off by the end of the month, by all means, do it. But if you don't pay interest on an offering to God. Now, I can't do that. That's why I don't have credit cards. Why? Because I suck at using them. So I don't have them because if I had them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay an interest on a double cheeseburger I ate three years ago for the rest of my life. So somebody, so don't, don't go into debt. But they gave what they could. And it, they what happened is they looked at what they had and they said, I'm going to give what I can. I'm going to trust God to make up. And here's the thing. I can tell you from experience, God always takes care of those who are faithful to him. They gave out of what they had and they trusted God to take care of them. Now, it could... It, it may not be money. You may not, ha- you may not have any money to give. Now, this is above and beyond your tithes. So well, I can't tithe. You can't afford not to. I talked about this. You can't afford not to tithe. If you're, you're like, man, I keep struggling. I can't, I, I, I'm, I'm not tithing, and I'm struggling financially. Why am I struggling financially? Cause you ain't tithing. Biblical fact, not going to get into it. But if you're like, I'm giving all I can. I'm tithing. And, you know, I just, I can't give of my money. Fine. We all have time. We can give to the church. We've all got talents we can give to the church. God has given you something that you can sacrificially give to help other believers. Loving is giving of yourself and it is holding on to things of earth loosely so you can build a better, greater kingdom for God while we're here. So they were a sacrificially loving church. Fourth thing, they were a teachable church church. Barnabas and Saul, they get there. Barnabas rejoices about how well they're doing, how fast they're growing, and he comes and they teach them for an entire year. God moved incredibly, and God built his kingdom uh, in an incredible way through the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. You know, Barnabas, it, it shows a lot about him when he gets there, he sees this group of believers. Again, they're not organizers. There's this group of believers in Antioch and they're getting saved and they're not really an organized church. He could have stayed and built his own ministry. He could have made a name for himself, but he doesn't. He goes and he gets Saul, and he brings Saul back, and he he recognized his limitations. He recognized Paul's need to be discipled and to be used. So he goes, he gets Saul, who later becomes Paul, brings him back, and for an entire year, they teach the word of God to these believers. These believers at Antioch were teachable. They were eager to hear and to learn, and to live the word of God. Now, Barnabas, uh, believe it, Paul, he's, he's a discredited Jewish Pharisee. He's not a powerful missionary yet. Now, we look at Paul, and we're like, oh, Paul's the greatest church planner the world's ever seen. He's the best, greatest New Testament Christian. He's an incredible missionary. Not right now. Right now, he's a Pharisee, that a couple weeks ago was murdering believers, and now he's at Damascus trying to get in the church, and the church won't let him there because they're like, you used to kill us. He's a discredited Jewish Pharisee. He's not a powerful missionary. He is a nobody that they knew nothing about. Now, so neither Jews nor Christians really trusted him. But these believers, for an entire year, they sat under his teaching. God was going to use this church greatly in his mission, but he had to make it useful first. He had to allow them to learn the word of God. And look, the Gentiles that are in Antioch, they didn't have the same biblical background as the Jews. They had to learn the things of God. They had to learn the word of God. So they were eager to learn so they could live a life that was honoring to him. So here's what we've got to ask ourselves. As a church, are we hungry for the Word of God? Are we eager to learn? If, if you're sitting under preaching or you're doing a devotion or you're at a Bible study and you hear something from the Word of God that goes against what you think or what you believe, are you the one who's going to say, you know what, I know that's what the Bible says but I don't believe that? Or are you like, you know what, I, I was wrong. i got to change my thinking. i got to change my behavior. That's being teachable we're not going to make an impact unless we're teachable. Fifth thing and last thing that made this church different was they were a Christ-centered church. Look at verse 26. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And they gave to the pass that a whole year was assembled themselves with the church that taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. This was a Christ-centered church. That is why they were called Christians first here. Normally, followers of a disciple or followers of a followers were called disciples. But at Antioch, they got a new reputation. They took on a new name. And look, it was used as a derogatory name. During this time, there were other teachers out there. There was Augustus and Herodotus. And if you were a follower of Augustus, a disciple of Augustus, you were called an Augustine because you believed him. You taught what he taught. You lived what he said to live. If you were a follower of Herodotus, you were Herodon. And it was was basically called, you are a little person of that. You are who that person is. Uh, They were called that because of their loyalty, their devotion to the teaching, and they were dedicated to living like them. That's the idea behind being called a Christian. Their life looked like the life of Jesus Christ was what they talked about. Their lives revolved around him. They lived for him. People knew they were followers of Jesus by the way they lived their life, by the way they loved other people, by the way they gave of themselves, and the way they talked about him. Can the same be said about you? Again, if I go to your workplace and find somebody that knows you, and ask, are they a Christian Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, I know they're a Christian. They talk about God, they talk about their church, they pray, they, I see them with their little Bibles open. I see, yeah, they're a Christian. Or, hey, if I go to someone's, uh, go to your work and say, hey, I'm, I'm so-and-so's pastor, they go to church? Is there, I was listening to a, a crime show. Uh, I like listening to true crime podcasts, and it was about this woman who uh, was killed more than likely by her husband because that's who's going to kill you. You know, you're married to the person who's statistically going to murder you one day. And so, probably killed by her husband. But I remember listening to it. And after her murder, the husband who hadn't been charged yet or convicted yet, he went to her church to set up the arrangements for her funeral. And the pastor, when he came in and said, Hey, I'm so and so's husband, he said, I didn't even know she was married. Because her husband had never been there. She'd never talked about her husband, she never mentioned her husband. And look, that's a pretty big thing to leave out of your life. Oh, by the way, I got a a husband at home. But they didn't know she was married. If I were to go to your work and say, hey, I'm so-and-so's pastor. Pat, I didn't even know they went to church. Is Christ the center of your life? If we're going to be fruitful, we need to have a life that is centered around Christ, around his teachings. Look, the church today... We're, we're vastly different than the first century church for a lot of reasons. One, we, have, we have more opportunities than that church ever had. We can literally get the gospel to the entire world today with the internet and with satellite radio and all. We, we have more opportunities to get the gospel out. We are facing lo- less persecution where we're trying to get the gospel out, uh, and we are, but we are accomplishing less for God. We have the same spirit, We have the same power in prayer. We have the same word of God. But we are missing some vital characteristics. We need to be empowered by God. Again, not just as a church, but individually. We need to be active and passionate about preaching the gospel to the entire lost world everywhere we go. We need to be willing to sacrifice, to give of what God has blessed us with to further his kingdom. We need to be teachable and willing and eager to learn the truth about God and the word of God. And we need to make Jesus the focus of our life. If we can do those things as believers, we can be a fruitful, productive church for the kingdom of God. We can make a difference in our world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we you thank you. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.